O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Happy Advent, friends. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Kirsten, and I'm one of the pastors here at Living Waters. I don't usually begin a talk by singing a Christmas carol. This Advent, though, we are looking at a different Christmas carol each Sunday. And this week, our carol is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. My mom talks about the annual presence of Christmas carols in our local department and grocery stores as a kind of stealth operation for the kingdom of God. In the midst of Jingle Bells and Rudolph, we find Jesus. And in many of these songs, if you listen closely to the words, we don't just have sweet baby Jesus in a manger. We have Jesus grown up, dying on a cross, redeeming you, redeeming me, Redeeming the woman next to me doing her Christmas shopping at HomeSense, should she accept his gracious invitation. And that's why we're talking about these carols during this Advent season. Some of us have sung these carols for years and years. Some of us have barely ever sung them. Either way, we may never have really paid attention to the carols. But if we take the time to look at what they're saying, we can discover a few things that we've been missing. We might discover that some of them some of them are giving us a sanitized or inaccurate picture of the biblical story. Was the night Jesus was born, for example, really a silent night? Or the one anyone likes to point out who's ever lived with a baby is away in the manger telling the whole story when it says no crying he makes. These are after all not a part of the biblical text. They're songs that artists have written, and some of them gloss over just how very human Jesus was and is. It's good for us to look at them and think through what parts of these carols may be a bit off. But these car carols can also deepen and enrich our understanding of the Christian story. Some of these carols are ancient. Many have been sung by Christians for hundreds of years. As we sing them, we learn from those who have gone before us, which is a good thing. Our culture has a tendency to devalue history, to devalue what's old. But when we are humble enough to participate in the practices that generations of Christians have entered into before us, we gain wisdom. We learn from their language, from the ways they've encapsulated the Christian story into powerful images and language. We learn. And there's a lot to learn from these carols. What I find that many of them do is they ground us in the biblical imagery surrounding Advent and Christmas. They remind us of who Jesus is 
And many of the carols, if you read them all the way through, give us the whole story of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection. The carol that I love the most is O Come, Come, Emmanuel. So I am so glad that I get to explore it with you today. This carol is more of an Advent than a Christmas carol. It brings us to this place of longing for Jesus to come and the hope that we have in Jesus. You'll notice that the theme for today is hope, and this is the right carol to spend time in today. This is also one of the more ancient carols. Its roots are about 1,200 years old. By the 8th century, Christians were, each Advent, praying a series of prayers called the O Antiphons. They were called this, understandably enough, because each one begins with an O. One of these prayers was spoken or sung on each of the final days leading up to Christmas. And these are meaningful prayers. I think that I'm going to be spending some time praying them during Advent this year. And if you want to join me, I put some information on them in the sermon notes for today that you can find on our website. These O antiphons are grounded in many of the titles that we find in the prophetic books, mostly actually in the book of Isaiah. And these are the titles for the Messiah. The carol, O Come and Come, Emmanuel, grew out of these prayers, which is why it's such a profound carol. And because of this grounding in the Old Testament promises of Jesus coming, the carol does a wonderful job of ushering us in to the season of Advent. Advent is the four weeks before Christmas. It's a time of preparing our hearts to celebrate Jesus' birth. Now, some of you have, may have never heard much about Advent, apart from opening 24 doors on a chocolate Advent calendar. But participating in Advent gives us a chance to learn from the centuries of Christians who believed that we would celebrate Christmas more fully if we walked through a season of preparation. And I have, in my life, so often found this to be the case. I like to think of Advent as a time of looking back, of remembering. We look back and remember that there was a time when Jesus had not yet come. This is an act of entering into the story of God's people. We enter again into the ache of the Jewish people when they were longing for centuries for Jesus to come, when they were waiting for so many promises to be fulfilled. And they were waiting so long for Messiah. You know, there's 400 years of silence between the last Old Testament prophet and the coming of Jesus. That's a long time. The people were longing for the fulfillment of what they had been told. And we remember back and try to imagine what it was like when God was with us through a Jewish temple, when God's forgiveness came through sacrifice. And, bring, and being God's people often involved following a list of rules. We remember back to when we didn't realize how good God was. That God on Mount Sinai giving the law and the Ten Commandments wasn't the epitome of his self-revelation. We remember back to when they didn't know what we know. That God would expose 
the most vulnerable part of his heart by taking the hardest road, saving us, his people, through weakness, through the cross. We remember back to when God's victory over death wasn't certain, when we didn't know that the kingdom of God would break out and continue to transform the whole world. We look back, we remember, and the result of this remembering, I find, is gratitude. It repositions us to truly feel that the ways in which Jesus' coming changed everything and continues to change everything. We are always in danger of taking the good things for life and granted, the stable, solid constants in our life, the people who were always there for us. And I think it may be easier to take Jesus for granted than anyone else. To remember what life was like before he came reminds us of just how good he is and how blessed we are. And it also helps us to look forward with longing. Advent is both about the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. As we remember that he came as a baby, we will look forward to the time when Jesus will come again, this time as a reigning king. We live in this time when Jesus' victory is incomplete, as we are well aware of, when we look around at the brokenness in the world. We experience glimpses of his kingdom, and as Rick reminded us last week, Jesus has already changed the world in so many ways. But Jesus' victory is still incomplete, and we look forward with longing. We look forward with hope to when he will come back as a reigning king, when he will make all things right. And in this way, Advent leaves ample space for us to carry our pain, our grief, and our brokenness into the Christmas season. Because it acknowledges that even though Jesus came, even though there is a deep and rich joy in his coming, we are still in many ways in pain. We are allowed to celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, but in the same breath to cry out in our pain, Lord, come quickly. Doesn't that, after all, in so many ways, describe our lives as Christians? Advent grounds Christmas in the reality that we are still in a place of longing. We are still in a place of hope for the transformation of the world, of our relationships, of our own hearts. Hope is, after all, not something that we need when everything is good. It is for the dark places. We press into hope when we are in need of light. And Advent is a time when we remember that all our hope is in the person of Jesus. This is where O Come, Come, Emmanuel brings us. It's about the longing for Jesus to come, for the kingdom of God. It leads us to press into hope, and it reminds us that our hope has a sure and steady foundation. And that foundation is Jesus. Let me talk a little bit about the structure of the carol. Each verse of this carol begins with, O come, O come. So we begin with longing, with prayer, with the request for Jesus to bring about his kingdom and his presence in the world. 
we begin each verse with a prayer for Jesus to draw near to us. Then each verse names Jesus with a particular name, a title that is grounded in the prophets, particularly the book of Isaiah. Each of these titles points to a specific way that Jesus is the answer to our longings. And then there is a request that comes with that title. We pray for Jesus to come and work in our lives and in the world. And as we sing the carol, we are speaking out the specific ways in which Jesus is our hope. Let's begin with verse 1. The title for Jesus in verse 1 is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And it comes from Isaiah 7:14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. We begin with this central truth that with Jesus' birth, God chose to come close. No longer would God seem removed and distant. He would come and be one of us. He would share in the story of the broken world, and he would leave his spirit to dwell in our hearts so we would never again be truly alone. The prayer here is that Jesus would come and pay the ransom for us. A ransom is a payment made to release someone from captivity. And the people who need to be ransomed are the Israelites, mourning in exile, cut off from their home, the place where they belong, the place where they know and are known, the place where they are free to be themselves. The deepest and most profound exile that we as people experience is our exile due to sin from the presence of God. We are cut off from the one who gave us life and who is our life. When Jesus, the Son of God, appeared, he opened the door for us to return home. And no matter how many times we find ourselves in exile, we are always invited to find our way home again through his great gift of forgiveness. So we find that Jesus meets our deep longing for homecoming. He invites us home. Let's move on to verse 2. The title for Jesus in this verse is the Rod of Jesse, and it comes from Isaiah 11. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Sometimes when you cut down a tree, a baby tree or a shoot will begin to grow from the stump. This is the image that we're dealing with here. The stump is the people of Israel. And the Lord showed the prophet Isaiah that there would be a day when Israel would be devastated, as dead as perhaps the stump of a tree that has been chopped down. But he also saw that God would be faithful. God had promised King David, who is the son of Jesse, that one of his descendants would always be on the throne. That was fulfilled through Jesus, who is the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. And out of that dead-looking stump would come the Savior 
of the world. You know, I'm a bit of a sucker for a good epic story. And in the best stories, there's always a moment when it seems like all hope is lost. The heir to the throne is lost and possibly dead. The hero has been vanquished or is on the verge of choosing darkness. All the, vet, all the Jedi are dead or lost. Aslan dies. Frodo and Sam come close to failing in their quest. But then in all of these stories, there is a turn and the light wins. The hero overcomes, the heir to the throne is found, the evil is vanquished. A shoot coming from the stump of Jesse is a bit like that. It seemed like the good days for God's people were lost forever. But then new life comes, the new shoot, Jesus. And the shoot does more than the Israelites could ever have imagined. Their imagination only extended as far as salvation from earthly tyranny. Jesus would save his people from the tyranny of sin and death. He would give his people victory over evil. We are all longing for victory over evil, whether it's the evil we see out there in the world and the systems around us or the evil in our own hearts. That's what we're crying out for here. And the very fact that Jesus came gives us hope. Even when things are very dark and we are surrounded by evil, we look for the turn. And because of who Jesus is, the turn always comes. In the third verse, we find similar language and a similar image, this time focusing on light breaking out of darkness. What we have here is a day spring dispersing the clouds of storm clouds and night, pushing away the dark shadows of death. This stems from Isaiah 9-2, which declares that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. What this draws out is our longing to finally and fully be released from death's shadow. The light shines in the darkness, the gospel writer tells us, and the darkness can never extinguish it. When we're healthy and feel good, and when the people we love are healthy, we may not think much about death's dark shadows and how very dark and threatening they truly can be. But the shadows of death are a part of our common experience as people. And it's a hard road when they come into our lives. I know some of your stories. I know that some of you have come close to losing or have lost loved ones this year. I know some of you are ill or are walking through a long, debilitating journey. You are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. In those moments, we don't know what more to do than to cry out to the author of life and to hold on to his hand for dear life. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Cheer us, day spring, by coming close to us. Disperse the gloomy clouds of death, we cry. There is space for that cry in Advent. And there are two wonderful things that we can cling to. Jesus is with us. 
He has told us that he would always be with us, and he is with us in every moment. He has promised to never leave or forsake us. And on the cross, Jesus swallowed up death forever. It no longer has the final say. So ultimately, it is life, not death, that wins. You know, the fourth verse that we're looking at is one I've never actually thought about very much. But this year, it resonated really deeply with me. In this passage, Jesus is named as the desire of nations. This exact wording comes from a messianic prophecy from the small little book of Haggai. I will shake all nations, Haggai writes, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The desire of nations is Jesus. You can find this theme woven in and out of the prophetic writings, that even though the nations of the world so often reject God, he is also what they so desperately need. The carol here prays for the desire of nations to do what only he can do, to bind the hearts of our world together, to put an end to the divisions between us. And true peace, because he himself is to be enthroned as our king, and that's what we're praying for, the king who can make a lasting and true peace, not just an absence of conflict, but a true and complete reconciliation between people, or shalom. I think this strikes a deep chord within us as a culture right now. And we can this Advent sing this. We can pray this. We can remember who God has been and ask his kingdom to come in the here and now and look forward to a time when it will be fully and completely accomplished. Well, in between each of these verses is the joyful and confident refrain. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. It is the declaration that all of the prayers that we have prayed will be met in Jesus. Our theme for this Sunday is hope. We use the word hope in a lot. Of different ways. I found that over the past year or so, I have hoped <laughs> that certain social events or family visits would happen, but because of COVID restrictions, I've had no certainty whatsoever that what I was hoping for would happen. We're not talking here about this kind of hope, the kind that is laced with uncertainty. Our hope as believers is certain because it's grounded in who Jesus is, the desire of nations who brings peace, the dayspring who has conquered death, the rod of Jesse who has turned everything around and vanquished evil, Emmanuel who welcomes us home. Our hope is grounded in his character and it's grounded in what he has done in history as a human being. He has come close. He has revealed himself to us. He has conquered death. He has saved us from evil. And he will continue to do so 
He is doing so even now, today, this Advent, this Christmas. So I would invite you to hope this Christmas, to enter into a hope as solid as the ground you're standing on. So we're going to sing this carol now, and let's, let's sing it. Let's pray it. Let's enter into both our longings and the incredible truth that all of those longings are met in the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. <laughs> 